You're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with the most visionary humans on this earth in hopes that you'll be able to absorb their wisdom, avoid their failures, and feel less alone on the roller coaster ride that is entrepreneurship. This season, I'll be chatting with creative thinkers, masterful marketers, brick and mortar shop owners, brand builders, and people just like you who have a story to share or a vision that inspires. If I can share one quick secret with you before we get into the episode, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us. You know, that spark that nudges us to pursue our full potential in this lifetime. But perhaps somewhere along the line, it got covered up. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late to explore that inner voice and access the brilliance deep down inside of you. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Today, we're talking about mischief makers, propagandists, con artists, boundary breakers, and hype artists. Sounds pretty juicy, right? Our guest of the show is Michael F. Shine, who has spent the better part of the last five years studying all things hype. Yeah, you heard that right. Michael wants you to know that if you're a business owner, an entrepreneur, an executive, an artist, an activist, or thinker who is trying to make the world a better place, it is your moral imperative to learn how to harness raw emotion and irrational thinking to your benefit. He wants you to understand how people make decisions, why they get really excited, and why they really choose to follow some people over others. In order to do so, Michael has followed the hype experts to find out the commonalities and to reverse engineer how they do what they do. Not only did I love recording this episode for all of you visionaries, but I deeply appreciated Michael's perspective on all things marketing and brand building. Our philosophies are completely in line and I love Michael's take on standing out in a crowd. If you want to learn more about ethical hype and how to use it to grow your business, then this is the episode for you. Michael does have a brand new book out. It is called The Hype Handbook. I'm going to talk all about it with him in this show, but I definitely would implore you to go check out The Hype Handbook, 12 Indispensable Success Secrets from the World's Greatest Propagandists, Self-Promoters, Cult Leaders, Mischief Makers, and Boundary Breakers. The book is now available, so go grab your copy. It is packed with value, key takeaways. And I explain a little more about my love for the book in this episode. So enjoy. Michael F. Shine, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. We were actually introduced by a mutual friend, Michael Roderick, who is incredible. And um, I'll plug a past episode I've actually done with him in the show notes. But first, I want to kind of go back to a story I was reading about you in your mid-30s. Now, you had a new baby at home. You decided to quit your cushy corporate job, as you called it, where you were being seduced by stability. And I love that. I think we can, a lot of us can relate to that actually. And you did this to pursue a full-time career in freelance writing. And I can definitely relate to that as well. Um, That proved to be a tough start for you. And month over month, you were kind of wondering like, is this my path? And maybe having some doubts. But then as I read it, you were walking around and you were about to um, get on the subway And you remembered a stunt from your past where you were actually in a band and you had plastered the streets with posters that said, Dave Matthews must die. Uh, First of all, I think that's hilarious. Poor Dave Uh, Matthews. I know. He's a nice guy. I I, I know. We shouldn't have done that. It's actually my husband's favorite band. So I kind of had a a good chuckle at that. But I'm wondering if you can actually take us back to those days. Tell us what you were up to, why you created those posters, um, and bring us back to that point in your lifetime. (laughs) So, yeah, I, 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 it's like a flashback within a flashback. Um, I, you know, after I left college, I, I wanted nothing to do with business, which is ironic. I own a, a marketing agency now. Um, but at the time, I wanted to do something in the arts. I mean, I, I was a writer. I used to write a lot of fiction. I still like to write fiction. Um, and I was pretty obsessed with music. I wanted to write songs. So I was in a band that uh, was pretty theatrical. We were kind of 
punk glam. I don't know what you would call it, but um, we, I certainly didn't become a rock star as is obvious, <laughs> but um, I think we did better than a lot of people thought we would do. And that all came back to the fact that we were really, we, we would kind of use benevolent mischief to get attention. We would sort of hype ourselves up. And um, so, you know, we had a song called Ash Wednesday and I used to dress like a nun. So that was, that got us a lot of attention. We um, talked ourselves on to Showtime at the Apollo and we knew we would be booed off. That's why we talked ourselves on to the show. And so we got attention for that and got on the cover of a magazine, uh, New York Press, which, which was like a big alternative weekly, you know, in New York. And the Dave Matthews Must Die thing, I mean, we were, we were like, uh, saw ourselves as punk rockers, which was probably not, I wasn't as tough as I thought I was, but um, that's how we saw ourselves. And, you know, Dave Matthews is like this sort of like hippie, as we saw it at the time, frat boy kind of kind of band. And so to attract our tribe, like the, the, the New York kind of hardcore kids, we put up signs that said Dave Matthews must die because back then um, the borders between music weren't as, as fluid as they are now. Now you can like Lady Gaga and Black Flag and whatever, but back then you were like a punk or a hippie or whatever. So, and we got a lot of attention. We had fans, we got a residency at Arlene's Grocery, which was, um, yeah, pretty popular club you know the strokes started out there we used to sell it out and so once that didn't work out the way i wanted it to and i had this corporate job and i got comfortable as you alluded to um and i was trying to make it as a freelance business writer i i had by that point really become a grown-up and some of that childlike part of me had had maybe been burnt out of me a little bit and so when i was gonna market myself because now i thought of it as marketing and sales i read all the typical marketing and sales books and you know i would i'd, I'd wear a tie which i realize now made me look like the kid who was trying too hard but you know i'd go to these networking events and um try all these things and i was very bad at it i i just couldn't get clients and when I, I walked by Arlene's Grocery, which was that club I mentioned, and I thought back to all this stuff I used to do, and I was like, you know, I was really good at marketing, although I didn't ever use the word marketing. We used to say we hyped ourselves up. We, we, we would, you know, and I was like, could could I sprinkle a little bit of that into trying to sell my business writing? And and um, I did, uh, not dressing like a nun, but just some of the underlying <laughs> principles. And it started to work. I started to get a lot of... of um, clients and so i was kind of like there must be something to this and it launched an entire journey i love that and so looking back on those days promoting your punk band what were some of the things that without even knowing it you were doing right in order to attract attention that then you thought i can apply these to my freelance business and grow it that way so uh, give us a little scoop on what was it that you were doing to sell out shows so uh, what one principle um, that I realized can be really used in any venture is, is theatricality. I mean, people love drama. That doesn't mean, again, that you have to use lights and confetti cannons, which we had, <laughs> and dressing like a nun. But it means that things like staging and having protagonists in a story and, and that sort of thing um, – are, are, are really useful uh, packaging. The one that, that's probably the most applicable here, directly applicable, is what I call make war, not love. It's, it, it basically means if you can pick fights with people, but also an idea, um, people tend to be much more emotional when they can define themselves against something than when they can define themselves for something. So the Dave Matthews must die thing is, is, is an obvious example. But then when the thing that really launched my career as a business person, um, an entrepreneur, I should say, is there's this guy that probably a lot of your listeners know, whose name is Gary Vaynerchuk or Gary V yeah. who they know him and they worship him. <laughs> do that. Well, so listen, I, I first want to say, and I said, I've always said this, I think he is very good at what he does. Yeah. Um, Wine Library TV and Wine Library, which was his first business, is still fantastic. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a business with a lot of value. Mm -hmm. um, he has a marketing agency now. Um, I, I don't know what his successes have been for his clients, but I know he's a fantastic marketer of himself. 
And one of the things that he's done, a little less so now than when I was doing this 10 years ago, is this idea of hustle. So he's constantly kind of yelling at his followers to work around the clock and he calls it hustle, but it's not just work. It's like he says to people that they should, um, or he used to say this, that he, he gets up at 3 a.m. and tweets from the toilet. And that's the kind of thing you have to do to make it. And I, I would hear this and I'm, as a business writer, I'm very systematic. I use blueprints and templates and I sometimes teach my clients to, to, to use blueprints and templates. And I was like, there's something wrong about this because what if you're making the wine instead of selling the wine? Should you be working on your ideas at midnight or should you be tweeting from the toilet at midnight, right? So I had a column in ink, which was just something I got because of people I knew. And I wrote an article called Why Gary Vaynerchuk is Flat Out Wrong. Now, I did not insult him. I just want to say, because I, I don't, I didn't insult, not that I have a problem with any of these things, but I didn't insult his looks, his personality, his family. I, I did not pick a fight in that way. But I picked a fight about the advice he was giving to, to young people. And I was certainly not on his radar. I was barely making a living at this time. And he responded to me by video that night. And <clears throat> he started out very, very friendly. Um, at the end, he was like sweating. You can find the video. He was very, very agitated, um, talking about how he could retire tomorrow, but he doesn't have to and whatever. And his fans started just destroying me online, just blowing my phone up, like really personal. Like they were so aggravated. And I got a little scared. I was like, did I just destroy my career? Like, this is not good. But then by the next day, I started getting all these followers and Twitter followers and things. And I, it turned out there were all these other people who felt like I did, who didn't have like a leader to, to you know, coalesce around. And, and they found me and my career started to take off like right after that. Um, and I think what I realized then is that you can try to like logically convince someone why your ideas are good and they might even agree. But unless they have sort of this thing to define themselves against, this this tribe, um, I don't know. They, they don't get as emotional about it. And I, that, that was something I took with me. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I love this story so much. And I think that we can extract so much from it because... I work with a lot of people who are starting their businesses, a lot of people in the health and wellness space who are like, okay, well, I'm a nutritionist or I'm a yoga teacher and I, I want to start building my own thing. Right. And when they first begin to find their voice, they're really afraid of pissing anyone right. off. Right. They're afraid to actually take a stance and put a stake in the ground on anything for fear that they'll get the slightest bit of backlash. And so instead of finding a strong voice, they try to appeal to the masses and they stay very PG on everything. And they feel like when they're writing an Instagram post or a blog post, they're walking on eggshells. And I want to just shake them and say, what do you really feel? You know, like, is there something out there that you think, you know, the paleo diet is BS or that everybody should yeah. be off of sugar. And 100%. I think that the lesson that we can extract from this is that you saw something that in your opinion was a little bit toxic, like Gary Vaynerchuk telling everyone to work 22 hours a day. Don't stop until you're a millionaire hustle or else you will never be rich right. or you will never be successful. And you kind of said, you know what? I believe the opposite. And I'm going to write an article about that. Correct. And um, yeah, you got a lot of backlash, but guess what else happened? You also found your community of people who said, thank you, Michael. Like, I agree with you. And I think the greatest way to build a community is to have a strong stance on something. Otherwise, we don't know what the heck you feel. And so yeah. I just think that's an amazing story and uh, something that we can all uh, definitely learn from. And even recently, I was kind of dissecting 
I was attending a virtual podcast conference. And one of the segments that I made sure to attend, it was called Joe Rogan got ripped off why he should never have signed the Spotify deal. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great title. It was a great title. And it was actually even better than that. I'm probably butchering it. But I thought, why was I so like magnetic to joining that session? And I thought it's because this guy is going to tell me exactly all of the reasons why he believes Joe Rogan never should have gone exclusive with Spotify. It's very polarizing because not everybody believes that, but he put a stance or put a stake in the ground and, and stood up for what he believed. So no, I, I think if, if, if you're, if, if you're any of your potential clients or your listeners who are thinking about doing this are listening to this, I understand that it's tough for most people, including me, you, you know, to do this because we all want to be liked. I mean, when we get a negative review, it, it hurts, you know, I mean, we want everyone to love us, but here's the thing you know, you don't want to be elevator music, right? I mean, that's not offensive to anybody, but everyone talks about how great the internet is, but the internet is as close to infinite as anything that human beings have ever created. And if you're just like putting stuff out there, that's just middle of the road, it's like flicking a cork into the Pacific ocean. You know, there's like nothing to hang your hooks on. So you, you just, it's essential to be willing to take that risk. It, not even just you maybe should do it. You will not be successful at attracting attention to yourself if you don't mm -hmm. take bold stance. I would go that far. Yeah. And I think that's actually a lesson that a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners learn over time. Like I can imagine you hitting publish on that article that you wrote about Gary V thinking like, oh my God, like this could go one of two ways. Um, but you obviously felt confident enough to just say, screw I it. Wasn't, let me just I wasn't. My <laughs> hand was hovering on the mat. I, like it, I, I was scared to death. I just didn't have much to lose. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? I, I, it was just like the other, it, it was just an idea I had. I was trying anything, but I wasn't confident at all. I thought it could yeah. have gone south. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of the expression, like feel the fear and do it anyways. Yeah, and sometimes it if it doesn't yeah. scare you, you're probably being a little too safe with it. Right. Um, I'd love to know, you know, what were some of the outcomes of that article, both positive and negative? You mentioned a little bit of the negative is that you did get backlash. You did get Gary Vee's tribe kind of saying, hey, you're wrong. Like, here's all the reasons why. Uh, was there any other outcomes that you experienced from publishing that article on the positive side or even more on the negative side? So I should say, I think it's actually a benefit that I came up in the punk scene because it was that's one of the few like scenes in the world where getting negative attention is considered a good thing. Like you would hear all these stories about the sex pistols, like clearing out clubs and, and throwing things at them. And that's like a badge of honor. So when I when I got all of these people It'd be one thing if people said, like, you know, you're not a good writer or I think your stuff is boring. That would offend me. But if people are like, you're an absolute jerk and you're lazy and you're an a-hole and you don't know what it takes. Like, I like that. That was really fun for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I don't think most people would feel that way. In terms of the positive outcomes, I mean, they were just myriad. I mean, it was the start of my career. I... um First of all, I realized what my voice was. So that that article got a lot of attention. So I started writing more about what I now call hype. I, I started looking at um, gurus who um, were extremely successful, who were giving advice, who I felt that if you want to learn how to market yourself, you should follow what they do rather than their advice. And I started writing about them. And so I would do an article on a different topic and it would get like a thousand views. And I would do, I did an article on Simon Sinek like this. It's gotten like 150,000 views. So I started to figure out my voice that that was my brand, so to speak. Mm -hmm. I also started getting work, you know? I mean, because I was getting visibility, people were signing up to my email list, which is now um, a popular thing that we do. It's called the hype you know, book club. Um, I started getting a lot of freelance clients. I, I got, in fact, more than um, I was working like 30 days straight and it was very hard uh, making uh, a living. But then I turned it into a marketing agency because what I realized was that when people buy business writing or copywriting, unlike news, 
you know, journalism, they're not really buying the writing, they're buying the outcome of the writing, which is usually leads. Mm -hmm. um, and that, and marketing should be about generating leads. So I realized that I could um, have a model where um, I enrolled people in a longer term program and not just be trading time for money in that way. So yeah, I mean, I, it, it, directly or indirectly, it led to everything that followed. Mm -hmm. It's like all PR is good PR, right? Yeah. Like any sort of attention is better than um, not having anyone look at your yeah. work or talk for about it or part, criticize yeah. it. Uh, for somebody listening who's like, well, I don't even know how I could implement this whole make war, not love, or I think sometimes you call it pick fights and make enemies. Um, I, I think I read in your book, you say that one of the strategies to actually think about how you as the listener could implement this in your brand is to identify a person or a status quo idea and position in opposition to it. Yeah. So is that one of the best ways to start thinking about like what it is that we might say in order to attract a little bit more attention to our brands? Yeah, and I would say there's a very specific um, question that you can ask. And we do this with all of our clients in the first session. So I expect a check for, uh, you know, uh, at least $1,500 uh, from every listener. Of the it's show. on the way. <laughs> so I was like, did you ever hear um, Soupy Sales? There was this children's television host, and he said to all of the kids on the air, everybody reach into their parents purse and pull out the green stuff and send it to this address and he got like taken off the air the next day oh my god i think he was kidding but you know but the uh, kids did it so <laughs> yeah, whoops exactly. so that, that thought, yeah so it's good Smart that kind guy. of thing yeah well um here's the question i would say ask yourself what's a point of view that's commonly held in your corner of the universe, in your field, by the like main practitioners in your field that they agree with 100% that they're just really confident about that you hate, that you just feel is so wrong and you just can't, you know, you just wish people would know it. Like for me, it was that um, the only way to get successful on the internet is to work around the clock personally doing the, the content creation and social media. I disagreed mm -hmm. with that. And everyone seemed to agree with that at the time. My thing was that there are certain structures and processes that you can use. So what's a point of view in your world that just drives you nuts that you constantly rail with your colleagues about? Because the opposite of that, and then what would you say instead? You know, so it doesn't have to be against a person, although it might be embodied by certain figures in your field. Mm -hmm. A good example is is Basecamp. You know, um, those guys, uh, uh, what's his name? Jason Fried and uh, David uh, Hansen Heinemeyer, I think their names are, yep. I mispronounced it. They um, were really antagonistic about the idea that functionality and, and, and like that, having the most robust technology and always jumping when your clients tell you to jump were good ideas. Yeah. So they created a software that they never customize for clients and that's completely simple. And they constantly write about how those ideas of, of complexity and when your clients say jump, it's how high and work over the weekend. They constantly write against that. And Basecamp is massive. Mm -hmm. And they were the first, they were the first project management software to, to take that stand. Yeah. I love that. And even thinking in how I've kind of applied this in my own business, I worked as a marketing consultant and in marketing for various um, large health food companies here in Canada. And I remember, you know, I would always be met with this comment of, how much money should we pour into Facebook ads? And right. should we be starting up click funnels? And those two words always came up for me, Facebook ads <laughs> right. and click funnels. <laughs> right. And finally, I, I realized like I would just get this visceral reaction where I thought, that is not where you start with a marketing strategy. You don't just look at your marketing budget and put it all into finding cold leads on Facebook ads. Or should we use hammers or should we use saws? You know? Honestly. Because, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, they're starting with the tools. Yeah, and like the click funnels, exactly. It's like you're yeah. starting with the most complicated tool. Right. And so finally I started... Um, sharing a lot of content and webinars around why Facebook ads and click funnels are not the answer to your marketing problems. And I started to get a lot of attention for it and people thinking, well, what? Like I thought I had to invest in that. And it's like, 
No, don't you realize that word of mouth and referral converts at like 70% Facebook ads and click funnels are down at like one or 2%. And that was when people seemingly really started to pay attention to my perspective on marketing. And they're like, well, what should you do instead? And to me, I do see that as kind of falling into one of your principles of like, take a strong stance and, and don't be afraid to say it because like, we all have an opinion and we see what's working with our clients and what's working in our business. And it's great to be able to um, say it with confidence and with conviction that, hey, you can all believe that, but here is what I think works and I'm gonna tell you about it and here's why. So yeah. I'm nodding along like crazy because first of all, that was a great strategy for yourself, but also you're you're hitting on something really fundamental. And I think we see the world a lot alike. The, the reason I said that thing about hammers and nails is because ultimately people have been, I call it hype, you can call it marketing. They've been doing this thing of getting people emotional to get them to take an action, buy from them forever. Yeah. I mean, the ancient Romans did it. But you would think that people are trying to solve like a scientific equation. You, they, they're, they're talking about marketing and they're saying, should HubSpot or click funnels, right? And it's like, it's the same as saying like, I want to build a skyscraper. What saw should I buy? And it's like, mm-hmm. do you have blueprints? Like, do you know if the building's going to stand up? Yeah. And 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 that's why I concentrated on 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 this concept of hype. I mean, these are fundamental principles. If you can't tap into mass psychology, then no tool is going to help you. I'm sure that one of your goals for 2021 is getting healthier or maybe just maintaining your health. I think now more than ever, we are all being super diligent, trying to take care of ourselves in the best possible way. And that's why I want to thank Healthy Planet for supporting today's show. If you are a health nut like me, you're going to love that you can save money on the brands and the purchases that you're already making by ordering from Healthy Planet. They love our visionary community and they want to support us all in living our best and our healthiest lives. So you can shop with them entirely online. Products will be dropped at your doorstep within just a few days. And it's so easy and convenient that you no longer have the excuse of it's hard to eat healthy. So treat your body, your mind, your business with the fuel it deserves from Healthy Planet. They are your one-stop shop for health, supplements, great quality food, natural cosmetics, and everything you need to support your body. So you can actually use the code visionary10 at checkout. You're going to save 10% on your entire entire order. So it's kind of a no brainer. I hope you'll use the discount code visionary10. That's visionary10 at healthyplanetcanada.com. My business coach always told me, he's like, marketing is just applied psychology. And I never really thought about it that way, but you know, it's so true. And also I think back to a course that I took when I was first becoming a a marketing coach and it was called clients on demand and, you know, no discredit to this program, but they would get you to put together a high ticket package, they called it. And then in order to sell it, you were supposed to create a webinar that uh, um, basically poured salt in people's wounds, like got them to this really emotional state. And then that would be the point when they would raise their hand and say, I need you to solve my problem. Um, but it worked for people, right? Because they got to them to that state where they felt like you are the solution to my problem. And it always rubbed me the wrong way, but it definitely, um, triggers that, that marketing is that, um, that emotional connection oftentimes. And like why we buy is sometimes, uh, much deeper than we even realize. It's, it's always emotional. And I, I think, you know, there, there's that whole point. I was just having this conversation that so many, uh, marketers talk about the pain side of the equation. And that's a really true thing that does yeah. work. But what people often forget about is the transcendence, you know, like like I, I, I a lot of the examples I use that the hype artists do. And I actually find this a positive is how they can make you feel uh, carried away or, or, or part of something bigger than yourself. And, you know, mm-hmm. as I've mentioned, I'm a music fan. And so, um, you know, we can talk about religion, but we can also talk about music. You see these old David Bowie videos, Ziggy Stardust, and the people in the audience, they, they look like they're at church, you know, they're, they're, they're just so transported. And that's a positive experience. He, he wasn't relieving a pain, maybe on some deep level, but he's giving them this sort of transcendent, almost religious experience. And that's a dynamic you can tap into as well, if you're a little less comfortable with uh, rubbing salt in, in people's 
you know, wounds. Mm -hmm. I love that. And so you've mentioned this word hype many times. Uh, I know you've said before that hype has often been associated with like creating almost like a fake stir or a fake buzz about things. Can you talk about what your definition of hype is and how you categorize it? So my personal definition, which I hope becomes the definition, yeah. is simply generating a large or a powerful emotional reaction from a large number of people to get them to take an action that you want mm -hmm. them to take. That can be a negative action, sure. It can be a positive action, hopefully. Um, however, there's no moral content to this. It just is. And actually, the reason I chose the word hype um, even though it has the negative connotations, I got it from hip hop because in hip hop, you know, everywhere else people talk about hype is, is, is it's empty. It's all hype. But in hip hop, hype is, has always been considered a good thing. You even had a member of a lot of rap groups called the hype man who would rap, but they would also get the crowd worked up. They would, um, sometimes even run the street teams. And my theory about why this is, um, you know, hip hop comes from the South Bronx originally, it's now taken over the world, but that was, that's the poorest zip code in the United States. So it's very easy when you come from a position of what they now call privilege to yeah. say, I'm going to follow A, B, C, and D and get a result. And anyone who doesn't do that is a jerk and they should do it my way. And, and you know, but, um, when you come from the margins and a disadvantaged position, you have to figure out alternative ways of doing things. And you mm -hmm. face those ways very clear eyed. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think um, I don't think that I don't think the kind of hype that's talked that's used in hip hop hurts anybody. I think it enriches the world and adds some color to it. Um, mm -hmm. And I just thought that was an interesting model for the rest of us. Yeah, because we're all kind of disadvantaged now. Things haven't been too great in the last year for a lot of people. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting to think that for entrepreneurs, for artists, for creative people, for musicians, you can have an amazing product or service, but without any sort of hype behind it you're probably not reaching the mass of people who need to hear your idea, Correct. right? So it's almost your responsibility as an artist or a creative to create some sort of hype behind your work. That's Otherwise, how I feel. It's your responsibility. If you're your creating great work that makes the world better, it is your, because the bad guys already get it, you know? Right, yeah. I think... Um, you know, one thing that would be interesting to get your perspective on, being that a lot of our listeners here on the podcast, they're solopreneurs, right? They've started a business because they're good at a certain craft. And they feel, I'm sure, a bit of a, a worry towards creating hype because it would seem like self-promotion. Yeah. And I think we're, a lot of us are fearful of that in our first few years of business. Cause it's like, Oh, like I don't want to brag too much or I don't want to say that I'm the best at anything. Uh, what would be your advice for somebody listening who is a solo entrepreneur who is maybe thinking, how could I incorporate hype without feeling like I'm boasting about myself? Well, the first thing is if, if, um, if you were to read the book, I know you have, but if anyone were to read the book, they would see very little about boasting. I think it's a misconception that, that hype or self-promotion or whatever you want to call it and bragging about yourself are synonymous. In fact, mm -hmm. I think if you just go out on the street and say, I'm the best, I'm the best, you know, people aren't idiots. They're, they're going to be turned off by that. Right. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I think it's a function of changing your frame about what this stuff is. I mean, to me, I, I've talked about music even more than I usually do on this podcast, but but the, 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 the examples just seem apropos. But I've always liked art where the hype was part of the art and where that was a positive. So like back to David Bowie, he would show up in his Ziggy Stardust era in a limousine before he was even famous because he had this persona of being the last star before the apocalypse or whatever it was. But it also created mystique, which made him mysterious and more 
popular. Now, do we say, you know, oh, that David Bowie, he should have just gotten up there and strummed his guitar in his blue jeans. That was really distasteful of him to, to promote himself. No, it was part, it added color and life and fun and a wink and a nod into the actual product itself. And I think that, or the Blair Witch Project, another example, if, if you remember that, the marketing was almost m more of an art than than the movie. The movie was just okay, but this this idea that there was found footage and the internet was new, so it was hard to get, and it would like, oh my gosh, did you see this thing? Some people say these kids actually got lost. Is it true? No, it can't be true, and things would come out. And that was awesome. That was so much fun. That was great. That wasn't self-promotion. So I think if you reframe it to think, you know, not only can this help me get to my goals, but it's actually giving life and color and fun to the people who are enjoying it. And I guess the third thing, just set up a moral code for yourself. Again, this yeah. is not synonymous with deception. This is not synonymous with conning people. I will never deceive anyone. I don't lie. I, you know, in other words, these are amoral tactics that can be applied to good. This does not give you license to deceive people and rip people off and sell them garbage. You know that mm -hmm. then you're just a con artist. That's not hype. So I think it's that. And and if you just feel uncomfortable because you're uncomfortable, that's for you to work out with your therapist. Like if, if after all of that, you can't get into it, then you got to ask yourself how important it is for you to get people to pay dollars for what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's definitely like the foundation, right? Like, of course, you <laughs> yeah. need to have a solid belief first in right. what you're doing. You need to have a solid product. But then it's the marketing. It's the hype around it that's going to get you to actually have people who want to pay you for your right. work. But yeah, I think having that foundation first, no amount of marketing we know can sell a bad product or service. So. You know, it can. I, I, I'm going to push back gently. OK, it, it, I like that. It it. it, it um the best way you can market yourself is to have a good product. That's true because then word of mouth happens and it's just, but I've seen, especially when you can't pin down the product, there are certain internet gurus who charge so much money that when I look at the substance of their stuff, it's literally like $900 to be successful, read more books, um, be confident, yeah. you know? So I don't know. I mean, sometimes I think if you build a hard enough cult of personality around yourself and the product is squishy enough, you can sell bad stuff, yeah. you know? Actually, I do agree with that because I've been seeing, I did a marketing trends of 2020 podcast and I talked about things that I hope die in 2021. <laughs> and one of them was kind of like that typical Instagram influencer, I'll call right. them, who's selling a $20,000 product. Right. But they're just kind of posting like bikini beach body photos. Here's my and Lamborghini, saying, but actually my bookshelf is what makes me really successful. Exactly. You know? And they're kind of promoting like this life of freedom. Right. You can just like work on the beach and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't think you actually have much to sell, but I guess you've done your marketing and you've shown people that you have the car, you have the life, you have the Which time. Which they've freedom. rented for the most part. And, and there's right. cognitive <laughs> dissonance, right? Because if you then find out that the stuff didn't get you rich, but there's enough paperwork and processes. You can either say I was conned or you can say, I'm just not working hard enough to implement the material. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, so. yeah. Now on the topic of hype and, and people that we might recognize, I'm wondering, is there anyone who is kind of a modern day hype artist that you could share um, to us? Like someone who right now is using the principles of hype and doing really, really well, whether they're in pop culture or a musician. How much time do we have? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll talk to some who are real hype artists who, who I really admire as well. Yeah. Um, I think Ryan Holiday is a pretty fantastic hype artist. Are you mm -hmm. familiar with, with his stuff? I am. And I think most of my listeners would be familiar with his work on stoicism because I've talked about it before. So, so which I like a lot. And I think I'm a fan of his. Here's why I think he's such a great hype artist. And the fact that you brought up stoicism first rather than his past career I don't know his head. past career. Right. So this is all right. So think about this. This is so fascinating. Ryan Holiday at 21 years old. So he dropped out of college. He became the intern for Robert Greene, who wrote, wrote like the 48 Laws of Power, which is a great book. 
And then he's just like a wonderkind. And at a very, very young age, he became the head of marketing for American Apparel, which mm-hmm. has now folded because the founder, um, you know, I, I think had some kind of sexual harassment scandal. Don't quote me on that, but because it might be wrong, but some yeah, CD something. stuff went on, which Ryan yeah. Holiday had nothing obviously to do with. But he was a total prankster you know so the kind of things he would do he did um, a notorious clothing ad for them where they got a billboard and they got sasha gray who's a porn star to appear on it wearing nothing but socks so get it you know clothing company naked porn star and the thing so that got all kinds of attention Mm -hmm. he was hired by tucker max who wrote those books about you know tucker max where he about how he drinks and hooks up with women or whatever and they made millions of dollars so they were making a movie about that book i hope they serve beer in hell and ryan holiday used their limited budget bought one bill rented one billboard and then in the middle of the night went out and spray painted on the billboard he had paid for something about tucker max as a sexist pig or something then under a fake email account he sent an email saying isn't it good that we're combating the scourge of sexism. So then all of these um, real feminists started defacing billboards and protesting Tucker Max and the movie like did really well. So Mm. this guy was the quintessential like troublemaker, rancanter kind of guy. So then what does he do? He knew that he wanted to become a more serious intellectual kind of artist, more like a Robert Greene. So what did he do? He writes a book called Trust Me, I'm Lying, where he says, I had a, I had second thoughts about what I'm doing. I've been very bad, basically. I'm going to expose all the secrets of media manipulation because of how bad it is. But really, he wrote a handbook for manipulating the media. But now mm-hmm. he's established himself as a writer. People have used that. The alt-right used that, that book as a handbook. And he knew they were going to, not them, but he knew it would be used. Yeah. So now, though, he's established himself as a writer. So now he's known as, and then he started writing about stoicism. So what was great about him was what a lot of tricksters do, and this is the unsophisticated version of hype, they stay in that mode. Like Dennis Rodman was taught by Madonna to dye his hair and act like a lunatic, and it made him well-known for a long time. But he never knew when to stop. He didn't know how to shift into the elder (laughs) statesman role. Ryan Holiday knew that the trickster thing only works for a while because it wears thin on people and then he matured into the next phase when he had power so i think that's a great example it's having that sense of timing is extremely important Mm -hmm. there was a movie on netflix i don't know if you saw it it was about this art of this rap artist named travis scott do you know who he is i've heard the name i don't i don't know anything okay i would just be curious on your take because the whole movie basically paints this picture he's like a 20 year old kid i think he um, is dating one of the Kardashian sisters. And he has these concerts where they are just like, they attract hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and people feel very like connected to him and they go to be part of the cult. And he's just really good at creating really? hype. his music. Isn't that great. But Travis Scott is a master of getting people to peel, feel part of a movement wow. and, and making them feel purpose. And I think you would really That's be fascinated right by yeah. his work. Yeah. Because there's no explanation as to how he got so famous, but it's the misfits all coming together and feeling like he is their leader um and he's also uh, extremely successful in doing this so i think it'd be interesting to actually study him and oh, yeah. how he got such a mass following but um no that's not my alley you don't know the name of the documentary do you i'll look it up um, it has but... his name it's yeah, travis okay. scott and he's you know one of the f- most famous rap artists yeah. um right now i've heard his so. name a lot but i don't know the first thing yeah so So, he's one person i would love for you to deconstruct his success because i think he uses a lot of hype um in the way that he's able to attract an audience that's super Um, cool thank you for that recommendation yeah of course and i know like through reading your book and thank you um just on the air for giving me an advanced copy of the manuscript it was just um, a page turner or in my case i was scrolling through it but (laughs) all of the principles are so awesome. And one thing that I loved is that you give 
actionable ways to actually apply each principle. And I think that that is where a lot of the value of the book actually lies. And, you know, one of the principles that you talk about is perfecting your packaging. So I'd like to kind of double tap on that one. Um, Obviously, a lot of the listeners, they don't have product-based businesses, but they have service-based businesses. And when we think of packaging, we might think, oh, well, it's the label on your food can or it's the colors you see. But in this case, for a service provider, what are some ways that we can perfect our packaging and actually create some hype around our business? Yeah, it's it's a great example about the... Um the packaging on products, because I think that that mentality has extended into the service market because we're such a service economy now. So when service-based companies think of their own packaging, they think of like their logo and especially their website and, and things like that. And that stuff's important, but it's not enough to just have like a nice website and a nice logo. Um, there's actually a quote, which I'm sure I'll butcher by it's by, but it's by the foremost experts on propaganda. These gentlemen named, um, Elliot Aronson and Anthony Pretconis. And they say, uh, the essence of good propaganda is a well-designed package. So <laughs> the idea is that you need to look in the core of yourself about what is the very core of what you're trying to convey and represent yourself as. And if it can be embedded in what you've typically seen as your weaknesses, that's even better. Because a lot of times we share the same strengths as everyone else. I know everyone talks about strengths-based leadership, yeah. but a lot of times when it comes to packaging, I would say it's almost better to do weaknesses-based leadership because that's the stuff that we're the most insecure about is often where our uniqueness lies. Yeah. Um, and then figure out a way how to flip those into strengths and then weave it through everything you do. Like, so, so to give you an example, um, everyone who is at, uh, this is just a personal example from a friend of mine. It's a small example, but when I, you, you know, when you would go to business conferences in the, I don't know, 1980s, let's say, well, probably everyone would be man. Uh, every man would be wearing a tie and maybe yeah. even a suit. Mm -hmm. Now you go to conferences and everyone thinks they're they're so edgy and hip because they all wear a blazer and sneakers, right? And that's just the new suit and tie, especially in my world, in like the in the um creative world. That's yeah. how you show your 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 you know your your edgy or whatever. However, I have a friend named Blaine Grayboyce who's a really creative, successful entrepreneur. He's mainly in the video game space. And I knew uh, he's my friend from when we were kids. He was a little bit older than me. And he was a skater and he was, you know, kind of always like a misfit in the best possible way. And whenever you see this guy, whenever you see him, he wears all black. He wears a scarf, you know, and his hair is kind of like tussled. And so he's like a 47 year old man and he doesn't dress like a kid. Yeah, but he's got that blaineness, you know, like everyone people call it that. That's a very blaine, and people are just attracted to him. Yeah. But it's him, you know what I mean? But magnified. He doesn't just wear he doesn't wear skateboard shorts the way he would when he was seventeen. But he also doesn't wear the generic blazer and sneakers, and he doesn't wear a business suit. And he talks kind of like that, and he lives like that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I mean he 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 wore he he for years lived on a on a on a farm near New Hope and he would chop wood in between his um, video game design, but he would promote that. Yeah. So I think it's about, you don't just take the costume off, you know, the, you, you have your work clothes and then you're just totally different. If you really want to commit, it's got to run through everything. It's got to be this all encompassing package that says who you are and what you stand for. Mm -hmm. And any public appearance you make, it's got to run through all of that. I love that. And I love that you said like keeping that as a through line. So people come to know that guy for always wearing the all black outfit with the scarf. But, you know, for some people, if your brand is really bright and vibrant right. and healthy. Marie Forleo. Yeah, you wouldn't want to wear all black no. because that's not on your brand, but maybe you always wear a bright floral sweater and that becomes your thing. Or I have a friend who's a country music artist and she wears this very specific brim of a, a like a cowboy hat, but it's very like plush and it's a unique shape that somebody right. crafts for her. 
every time she gets on social media or she does a concert, she's every always time, wearing that's the hat. It. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a very consistent through line or somebody like, um, a Jay Bear, he's a marketer. He yeah. always wears a plaid suit on stage. And his whole philosophy is that that's a talk trigger for people because they're like, hey, there's that guy with the plaid suit again. So really thinking about your brand and how you can bring that element, whether it's clothing or I know you talk about uh, naming your community, like coming up with. So if you have a community of people who follow your work, uh, can you name them something like, can you call them the health nuts? Or in my case, I call them visionaries because yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a really cool way to start creating hype because that makes people feel plugged into something. It makes them identify with your work, which also makes your work more shareable because then they're able to put a label on themselves and, um, start promoting your work on your behalf. Look, look at Ryan holiday, right? I mean, let's, let's look at his, his recent incarnation. Cause it's not just about clothing right so he too lives on a farm which he talks about all the time he raises goats and all of this stuff he preaches stoicism which is all about living the most stripped down authentic kind of life yeah he's remarkably productive so even that is part of his stoic philosophy mm -hmm. he writes in this very serious kind of tone which is very stoic in its thing he dresses very simply which is very stoic. I mean, this guy has a lot of money. You would never see a big fat watch on him like Grant Cardone, right? Mm -hmm. Just yeah. everything about him is stoic. Now, is he like that all the time when he's with his his wife and kids? I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. He's certainly like that in public, but it's really him. Not entirely him, because we're all complex, but it's basically like creating a cartoon of who you really are. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, for somebody who's listening and they're kind of like, I don't even know where to begin with creating hype around my business. Maybe they, they haven't found their personal style yet, or they're not sure how to find their voice and be polarizing in what they say. What would you say is a good place for them to begin? Like, how do you start doing this brand discovery or self-discovery work that allows you to get to a place of feeling confident in creating hype around your craft? Yeah, I would say, ironically, the best place to start is by digging in, as I said before, to the places where you're the absolutely least confident. And this is really hard to do, but I'll, I'll tell you what I mean by that. So yeah. Andy Warhol, right? So he's he's really famous for being a good self-promoter. He's, mm -hmm. he's notorious for that. He was always a good artist. And he was a little older than the rest of the cool people in the 60s. He really grew up as a uh, a kid in World War II. So he was a few years older than like the hippie generation, quite yeah. a few years older. So this is a guy who was always a good drawer and painter. But besides that, you would say had very little going for him. So he was um, balding very early, very skinny, um, pale, had acne. Uh, he was gay in an era that that was illegal. And he wasn't like Rock Hudson, able to keep it in the closet gay. He was effeminate. He was pathologically shy. Like yep. really, really shy. So this was not your um, sort of what you would write here in the positive thinking motivational books about your your uh, most likely to become the biggest star and richest star of the 1960s. Mm -hmm. What did he do? Did he bury all that? Did he overcome it? Did he get better? Did he go to the gym? No. And that's what we're always told. Oh, you know, work on yourself. If you can dream it, you can be it. That's not what he did. So. He was balding. So what did he do? He didn't get a toupee to try to hide the baldness. He got a glaring silver wig that everyone knew was hiding something, right? Uh, his white pasty skin, he became like the preeminent creature of the night, right? He had the factory. His shyness, he he was famous for the short, enigmatic term, you know, word. We all know 15 minutes of fame, but famously, when they asked him, why did you paint cans of soup? He goes, I like soup, you know, and people talked about that for weeks. His clothing accentuated his his thinness. He he surrounded himself with with um, what they used to call transvestites, you know, mm -hmm. you know, people who dressed in drag, which was crazy at the time. So he basically took 
every part of himself that most of us would be terrified to put out into the world. And he accentuated it and turned it into something interesting. Mm -hmm. So if you're worried that you're not a strong enough leader because you're afraid of confrontation, for example, I mean, that's me. I, I like to be liked and I don't like that about myself, you know, because I grew up with models of people who were really successful that called it as it was. It's ironic because I'm confrontational in public, you know, yeah. in my art. But when it comes to like, like, I wouldn't want to say something that made you upset with me. I want you to like me, yeah, you know, in one-on-one -on -one kind of stuff. But, and I've struggled with that, but I've learned how to do it. I have processes in my business that are all, I have a chapter in the book, build your secret society. So instead of shying from that, it, I've become, well, become a, become the ultimate string puller because that's the positive side of wanting people to like me. Yeah. So I think if you can just get really honest with yourself about those weaknesses and then mm -hmm. flip them into strengths, that's actually really liberating mm. if you think about it, instead of trying to overcome that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's so liberating. And, um, you know, reflecting back on that Andy Warhol story, it reminds me of the quote that says, don't hide who you are, become more of who you yeah, are. Yeah, and right. I think that having a business and growing a company, it is almost the ultimate journey of self-expression and self-discovery. It's like, what makes me different? What makes me unique? What makes me tick? And how can I actually infuse more of that into my growth strategy and infuse more of that into all of the creative work that I put out there? Um, and cause that's what makes us different. And, right. Um, you know, instead of trying to just one up your competition all the time, we could instead reflect back on, all right, well, what are those weird characteristics that I have that I've been a bit shy about bringing forward, but Hey, maybe I can double down on just sharing who I really am in order to garner some attention. So I love that. Be more of who you are. That that's really cool. And I would say be, be, be almost exaggerated with bringing up the stuff that you're truly uncomfortable about. Don't do that yeah. like old thing where like the interviewer asks you what's your biggest weakness and you're like, I'm really too much of a workaholic. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? It's like, don't do that thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Too mm -hmm. funny. Um, so you obviously were in your cave the last year or two researching yeah. hype and writing a book. Uh, before we dive into the specifics of the book, tell us about that process. How did the book writing go for you? So it's funny. Uh, gosh, this was a story in itself. Um, I've had the idea for this book for five years. Wow. And I've been researching it for that long because I research it anyway. I'm a big reader and I know it's like the fad now to be a big reader and it's a good thing to be a big reader, but I was a writer first. So I, I just love to have excuses to read and I like some weird books. So um, when I realized that this thing I'm calling hype is better than marketing, um, yeah. I started reading unusual books. So like books about strange figures in history and crowd psychology books, and I would take notes about them. And then I started this thing called the uh, hype uh, book club, where I share recommendations of some of the more odd and interesting and helpful of these books. And it became mm -hmm. popular. So I was doing this research and then I had the idea for the book and, um, I, I was just convinced it hit me in a flash and I was like, this thing's going to get it, get bought. It's a great idea. Yeah. And I got an agent pretty quickly and he was a good agent. So I'm like, I was like counting the advance money and um, he couldn't sell it. So then I got another agent and he couldn't sell it. So at that point I was like, oh, I guess I'm wrong. I was bummed. I was upset. You know, I was really depressed and I was maybe, maybe this isn't good. So then um, I was having um, a random dinner with this woman, uh, Heidi uh, Krupp, who's a very successful and talented public relations uh, agent for many authors. And I knew her because she, she, I just know her from around and she would pitch yeah. me because I write uh, for publications. And we're talking about other stuff. She's like, what are you working on? I'm like, yeah, I got this idea for a hype thing. I'm thinking of making it into an information product. I don't know. And she's like, you could totally have a book on that. I'm like, yeah, it's funny that you should say that because I tried because I could sell that for you in a minute. I just became a literary agent. And I was like, okay, BS, you know, whatever. And she sold it in two weeks and I got a good advance and the whole deal. So um, sometimes you just need a pusher, you know, I mean, she um, so because of Trump and everything, they gave me a ridiculously short turnaround time. 
Yeah. So um, fortunately, I had done a lot of the thinking. I had done multiple proposals. I had written about this for years, but it was all, it was hard. I, I wrote like around the clock for like four months straight. It was very difficult. Yeah. You were uh, channeling your in- inner Gary Vaynerchuk to get this I, book I, done. I, I had no choice. The funny thing is, I'm a very hard worker. I just yeah. don't think like I think I it makes more sense to work on that book than tweet from the toilet. I mean, that's yeah. just, it's like, what are you working on, right? But yeah. no, it, it was hard. I mean, I was, I don't like to work like that. I mean, that was brutal, uh, but um, it was so fun good. at the same time. I always love hearing the behind the scenes because I know yeah. it's not easy to just get it a book hard. deal landing in yeah. your lap. So, so speaking of the book, it is called The Hype Handbook, 12 Indispensable Success Secrets from the World's Greatest Propagandists, Self-Promoters, Cult Leaders, Mischief Makers, and Boundary Breakers. Whoa, what a title. Yeah, inspired by Borat. Twister. That's like a Borat title, you know? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Um, and you know, I will say I'm, I read every single marketing book out there and I'm a total geek for it. And I realize not everybody wants to do that, but this is a book that you're going to want to get your hands on. It is magnetic. Like you have all these great examples and stories of prominent figures that we all know about. And you're really dissecting like how their following came to be or why they're successful. And like I said earlier in the podcast, there's this putting it into practice section as well. So for the person who has a business or is thinking about starting a business, this is a really cool section to actually get your pen out and take notes. Like how can I apply what you call the piggyback principle, which we didn't talk about, but they'll have to go read the book yeah. for that. Or how can you apply, um, you know, what you've done with the Gary V article to get your kind of rise to fame? How could we do that in our business? And I do truly believe that it is possible for anyone listening to this show to read the book and find success with one of those 12 principles, if not all 12 of them. So I wanted to give you some kudos on that. But I'm really um, touched that you feel that way because I've become a fast fan of <laughs> your stuff. And uh, I, I really you. thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're very welcome. And I, I really do appreciate your and anything I do in the marketing world, I have a no BS approach. And all my clients know that like no bullshit here. I'm not going to tell you to invest in stupid softwares that don't work or that are not going to amplify a really good message. And I like that you are really chatting about time honored principles. These marketing and hype uh, principles have been around since the dawn of time. It wasn't invented yesterday. It's not being sleazily sold to you. So anyways, big kudos to you on that. So, um, where can we find the book? I know it's not even out yet at the time of this recording. So just give us the spiel on how we can get a copy and, and when we can expect to get that in our laps. Yeah, so it's out soon, finally. Uh, it's uh, January 12th, it'll be out. So right around the corner. And, you know, it's um, it's McGraw-Hill. It's, it's, so it's, it's available in most of the major places. I mean, we're all yep. sort of trapped inside to one extent or another. So mm-hmm. Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble online, uh, any of the independent distributors, you know, some yep. of these sites that aggregate the independent things. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm a fan of bookstores too. So if, if your bookstore's carrying it, certainly and open, buy it there or order it there, but yeah, all the regular places. Awesome. And you know, one thing I did find while, um, while researching you was that you have been touted as a sort of gorilla Seth Godin. Did you know that's been no, said about no. you? No, <laughs> no. Where, where did we hear that? I want to put that. That's awesome. I know. I was going to say that is quite the claim to fame. And I love I that they're that. comparing you. You're, yeah. The, it says gorilla you, like, ooh, 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 or like jumping out of trees, gorilla. The gorilla marketer. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hey, that's a, a pretty big compliment because I know where a lot of my find that that's huge i want to see that i actually don't know i i think it was probably in one of the top 20 google hits when i search your name um i'll try to find it Um, i'll find it too that's going to be on like that's going to be on like my my tombstone uh, oh it absolutely should Yeah. yeah i mean a friend of mine just wrote a book all about like decluttering your digital world so like um, you know, decluttering your laptop and your phone. And she's been called like the digital Marie Kondo. Yeah. And yeah, I'm like, that so needs great. to be. So yeah. now that's like in her Instagram bio. And I just thought, what a compliment. Um, anyway, so when I saw that, I, I just knew that 
you know, we'd probably be kindred spirits. Um, so. Thank you for that, by the way. I, uh, thanks for pointing that out. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'll look forward to your dissection of Travis Scott and seeing your yeah. opinion <laughs> on what kind of hype he has created in his business. But um, I'll plug the links for the book in the show notes. And I really appreciate you taking the time today to share some of the incredible principles that you've been researching for many, many years. So Michael, thank you so much for being on the Visionary Life podcast. Can't wait to celebrate when the book actually launches and we wish you all the best. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. There you have it, my conversation with Michael F. Shine, a true master of his craft, right? You'll most certainly want to get a copy of his brand new book, The Hype Handbook. I promise you it is worth your time and your money. I have linked it in the show notes where it can be found uh, at kelseyridle.com slash podcast slash Michael F. Shine. Before I let you go, though, I do also want to share three things that really stood out to me from my conversation with Michael. So the first is that it's important to determine a point of view held by the main practitioners of your industry, something often regarded as gospel, as Michael would put it, and then see if you believe any different. Like, does everyone in your industry say you need to do Facebook ads to be successful, but perhaps you disagree. So come at it from a different perspective. Michael gained so much attention when he shared his article titled Why Gary Vaynerchuk is Flat Out Wrong, since it contradicted what everybody else was saying. And that was really a tipping point in his career. So something to think about. Second thing I want to double down on is that it can be scary to stand out. So don't worry if exercise one of figuring out what's gospel and going against it, if that's not coming easy to you, take your time. Just like how Michael felt terrified to publish his opinion piece on Gary V, there's likely some area of your business that you're resisting um, and you're ready to rise up soon, but you're not there yet. So it's okay if you're feeling that resistance, work through it. Your time will come when you just hit publish and go for it. And the third thing is that hype isn't a bad thing. You can be your own hype artist or else you risk having your work unseen by the masses. So you got to hype it up. Hype gets you noticed and it shouldn't always come with a negative connotation. So I love that he talks about ethical hype and I'm already scheming on how I can include more hype in the visionary brand. So once again, don't forget to grab a copy of Michael's book. I wouldn't tell you that if I truly didn't think the book was going to benefit you. The sections at the end of each chapter where you actually put it into practice are game changers and that alone makes the book worth it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis. So it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method business coaching experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.